Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And this week, Olivia is going to be telling us about the jewel beetle, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, I think this is such a pretty bug. But I first wanted to mention something cool I saw this weekend that I thought maybe our listeners would be interested in. Basically, I was walking with some friends from my lab and we saw this massive anthill and there was like this ant highway crossing in front of us. It was like, you know, when there's just like a a flood of ants crossing in front of you. Yeah. And... Um, My supervisor, John Acorn, and his wife, Dina, were telling us that these ants were probably slave-making ants. And if we looked closely, we could actually see them carrying these little ant larvae. So I looked down and yeah, you could see these ants were carrying these tiny little white larvae with them. And if you haven't listened to our ant series yet, and you should because I think it's like the series of episode I'm most proud of. But yeah, if you haven't listened to that yet, I'll explain what's going on here. So some ants will go on raids to other ant nests where they'll come in and launch an attack and they'll kill adult ants and then they'll steal their larvae. And those larvae will then be brought back to sort of the home nest of the invaders and they will be raised into workers. So ultimately, those stolen larvae will work for the rival colony. And it's sort of a way for this colony to get more workers without their queen having to produce more. So So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it's so cool. So yeah, if you see any big ant colonies this summer or any ant highways, definitely take a close look and you'll see what they're carrying. And you might even see some little wormy looking things or some little like kind of white spots. And those are probably ant larvae and they might be raiding another ant colony. So I just thought that was cool. Wanted to mention it because we're doing a bug day today. Yeah, yeah. totally. Definitely if people haven't listened to the ant series, they should because it's, I learned so much about a lot of different types of ants and yeah, I, I'm out on Saturna at the moment, and I feel like I've been seeing a lot of insects, like a lot of beetles flying around, and these moths that are like, I don't know, they seem to be kind of like attracted to like our screen door, and just like chill on the screen door for the entire day. Like, hmm. like kind of like they're almost like stuck there, but they do leave eventually, been seeing those so many ants my deck is covered in ants but it really feels like insect season <laughs> definitely and the dragonflies are starting to come out where i am and so oh nice it's kind of nice to see those yeah we we went butterfly hunting over the weekend and it was it was so much fun we caught some tiger beetles and oh yeah cool. tons and tons of butterflies there were lots of like european skippers hanging out around these mud puddles, uh, butterflies love mud puddles. I think they like the minerals in them, like the salt. So you often see them congregated around mud puddles. And there were like hundreds of these little European skippers all around these puddles. It was quite cool. Wow. I actually have seen so many ladybugs this summer when I'm at the beach and huh. stuff. Like, And just anywhere, kind of like if, if I sit down, I just become like covered like not covered but you know multiple ladybugs crawling on me oh that's so funny yeah we haven't I haven't really seen many I've seen a few 
I think it's supposed to be good luck or I don't know. Someone at the beach said that it was good luck to have them crawl on you. (laughs) And you say, sure, why not? (laughs) Yeah, I'll take the good luck. Yeah. Well, I mean, that sounds fun. And our listeners should definitely send us any cool bug photos they have because we love to see that. Yes. But yeah, as much as I could talk about ants and other bugs forever, today we're talking about the jewel beetle. So let's get to the jewel beetle. Yeah, for sure. So if you bring a jewel beetle to Blathers, he'll say, The green shimmer of the jewel beetle's wings is nothing short of nauseating. Yes? No? (laughs) Well, so says you. Though jewel beetles were once prized by collectors who turned their iridescent wings into pretty jewelry. Why anyone would want to wear bug parts on their body is beyond me. Fashion foul indeed. (laughs) Gosh, he's so mean. He's so mean. They're beautiful. They're beautiful blathers. Just embrace them. They're also like basically harmless. I, I couldn't find any evidence of them being, at least like to people. Maybe to plants, they're not so great. But Mm. let's get into it. So in Animal Crossing, this bug can actually be found on tree stumps, which is cute because as we'll learn, this is a tree-dwelling group of grubs, bugs for the most part. At least that's where they start their life cycle. So I like that you can find it on a tree, tree stump. That seems appropriate. So the jewel beetle represented in the game is called Chrysochroa fulgidisma. Wow. That's a mouthful. Oh, gosh. I didn't practice that before the episode, but I feel like that that gives the gist. Um, (laughs) And it's a Japanese species of jewel beetle. But as a group, the jewel beetles called Buprestidae, um, that group is the eighth largest family of beetles, which is very impressive because I don't know if you know this, but there's like a lot of beetles out there. So for (laughs) it to be the eighth largest, it's like significant. There's a lot. So there's about 15,000 known species of buprested beetles. I emphasize known because there's always wow. unknown bugs that we don't know about. 15,000 is is just a lot. For reference, there's under 10,000 bird species out there. So wow. yeah, just to give you some sense of how diverse that is. And it's only the eighth largest family of yeah. beetles. <laughs> Not even of insects. <laughs> yeah. And like beetles are a pretty well-studied group. So there's a lot of other insects out there that are not very well-studied and there could just be even more species than we think. So it's a crazy time in entomology. If you want to find new species, <laughs> become an entomologist because, you know, if you look hard enough, you'll find some new species. This group is also known as the metallic wood borers or the flathead borers, but that just makes them sound boring. And I'm not into that. So today we're going to call them the jewel beetles, as it is in the game. So the jewel beetles have a very distinct and unique shape. Of course, within this shape, there's a large variety of colors, sizes, and contrary to just what I said, shapes. Like, some of them are a bit more squat, some are a little longer. But most of the time, you'll know a jewel beetle from a couple distinguishing features. For one, it has this bullet or torpedo shaped body. It has this sort of blunted flat front of its head. Like it looks like you just sort of like, just like slammed its head against a wall or something. It's just very flat. And then sort of these wider shoulders, if you will. So I'm using like human terms because I feel like it's easier (laughs) for the average listener to understand, but like, like the shoulder part of the beetle or like 
the mid middle part of the beetles a bit thicker and then it'll just the body tapers to a narrow point at the end of its abdomen which is like the bottom part of the beetle body so hopefully that makes sense to everyone but it's it's a very unique look to it the jewel beetle on animal crossing it's very accurate to sort of the general body plan of buprested or jewel beetles But the claim to fame for the jewel beetles is not so much their shape, but the fact that many jewel beetles have a beautiful iridescent or metallic color shine to it. They're just incredibly beautiful. Some I've seen actually have a pretty dull or dark color, but then they'll have like little indents in the surface of their body with this sort of shimmering gold or copper inset into those little dents. So Often, even if they aren't really fully iridescent or colorful, they will have sort of this shimmery, almost um, like a like an eyeshadow palette with like a like mm. a matte color with some like glitter in it. That's always what it reminds me of. But yeah, like a good ColourPop palette. I love ColourPop. <laughs> yes. We'll plug for ColourPop here. ColourPop should make a jewel beetle like collection. Yeah, they should add it to their next Animal Crossing collection, which I really hope Mm. they make another one because I love their Animal Crossing collection. Me too. I love it. Well, speaking of the color, I mean, we've talked about colors in insects before, like the blue bottle and that kind of thing. And it seems like sometimes they come from like pigment or it's more of like a structural thing. And if you grind it up, it doesn't actually have that color. How is the color kind of produced for the jewel beetle? So these beetles have shiny carapaces made up of layers of cuticle. Carapace is basically just a fancy word for the surface of the beetle between its abdomen and thorax. So the main part of its body except for the head and the legs. The jewel beetle's shine comes from nanostructures in layers of cuticle. So depending on the shape and distance between those different layers, light will bounce around and create that shiny iridescence so that kind of depending on your angle to the beetle, you're going to see different colors. Okay, that makes sense. And what purpose does the iridescence have for the jewel beetle? It's kind of an interesting phenomenon in nature, this iridescence, because it can be a few different reasons. So going back, you know, back to like the early 1900s, one of the first Western scientists to study it was a fellow by the name of Abbott Henderson Thayer, and he was considered the father of camouflage after he published his book in 1909. And he thought that one purpose of iridescence was camouflage, but he was criticized because of a lack of empirical evidence to prove his point. But since then, it still has proved a bit of a puzzle because in some cases, iridescence is clearly developed as a form of sexual selection, with males sometimes using it to show off for females. But sometimes we see iridescence in things like chrysalises, in which case it isn't really using its iridescence to like show off to mates because it's in a chrysalis form. So what's the point of it? A study by Karen Jernsmo, who's a researcher at the University of Bristol in England, found that as Thayer had originally thought, camouflage really does seem to be one of the main reasons for iridescence in jewel beetles, at least. In Jernsmo's study, they took a number of blue and green elytra, which are wing coverings, of some species of jewel beetle, and some were iridescent, some were not. 
they took those elytra and then they sort of put them on this platform. So they put some iridescent ones, some matte sort of greeny blue ones. And under the elytra, they put mealworms hidden under them. And then they put these little chicken chicks on the platform with all these beetle elytra. And they looked at where the chicks were most likely to eat the mealworms. And they used chicks because they wanted to ensure that the behavior they were observing was like a purely instinctual thing, not a learned behavior. So in case anyone's wondering. And then these chicks, they found they preferred to peck at the non-iridescent elytra. And at times even kind of seemed alarmed by the iridescent elytra, which makes sense because that iridescence could sort of imitate movement in a way that maybe is confusing to birds or a little alarming. Then they even did a little study with humans where they placed elytra on various leaves in a bush. And some of the leaves were shiny, some were not. Um, They put both matte and iridescent elytra again out in the world. And then they asked humans to try to spot the elytra. And funnily enough, while 80% of people were able to identify the location of non-iridescent elytra, only 17% were able to find the iridescent ones. Wow, I'm so surprised to hear that. Like, I would think that iridescent would be way easier to spot, like, for both the chicks and the humans. I guess I understand it in terms of, like, it being confusing or strange and you'd want to stay away from it or something. But in terms of, like, actually not being able to see it, that's weird to me. Yeah, and they had these photos of their experiment, like, what they showed to people. And I was like, oh. Oh, I get it now. It is really hard to see. Wow. Like diving a little bit more into it, the reason the iridescence is working as camouflage is that iridescence is just really good at distorting the shape of something. So often animals, including us, we identify objects by their shape in part. I even do this when I'm sorting bugs. Like I only look at the shape, not the color. I'll sort of be like, oh, that's like the shape of a wasp and I'll, you know, sort it. So it's pretty important to be able to identify a shape. But when the silhouette of an object is interrupted, it just becomes a lot harder to identify, especially if the surface that it's sitting on is also variable, like a glossy leaf. Like depending on how you move around the object, if you're moving a lot, if you're moving a little, everything's going to, the light is just going to bounce off differently from both the background surface and the iridescent elytra itself. So yeah, it's all very interesting. This whole distortion of shape thing is also the reason that tigers have stripes. So when they're prowling through like a shadowy jungle, the stripes on their body actually disguise the large shape of a tiger, which helps them sneak up on their prey. So this is something we see a lot of nature. They just, you know, this disruption of shape comes in different forms. That's so interesting. I guess... I had been thinking of camouflage really narrowly as like just something that has to do with purely being like the same colors, like same color scheme so that you can blend in. But I didn't really think about how it could disrupt the shape of something. That's really cool. It's so interesting. I'm always fascinated by it. Like one day we're going to do a cuttlefish episode and like I've been putting it off solely because I feel like there's just so much to talk about and I'm overwhelmed thinking about it. But we need to do it because it's going to be fun. Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm excited. 
Another thing, though, to mention about the colorful iridescence of these beetles is that it's made them a bit of a target. So not to say as far as I can tell that these beetles face much of a conservation threat from collecting, but bug collecting does happen because of how beautiful they are. So today, beetles may be collected for jewelry in many parts of the world or for various other adornments or ornaments, as Blather said, or for bug collections. Like I actually have two bupressed beetles in my own insect art collection. So they're these kind of greeny blue. They're very pretty. So they do, they are very popular in insect collections. Some of them might be farmed, that sort of thing. Um, but as far as I could tell, actually, it didn't seem like there were any, any particularly vulnerable species, which was kind of interesting, but wow, yeah. um, always something to keep an eye out for. Also beetle or insects are just very understudied in terms of their populations. So, you know, hard to say, but I, anyway, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> But back in the Victorian era, having some beetles on like your bonnet was all the rage. So during the second half of the 19th century, as the public found themselves increasingly removed from nature, it became very fashionable to bring natural history into the home through taxidermy, art, and even fashion. So women, of course, would wear these elaborate feathered hats. Sometimes they'd have like full birds on their hats or their, you know whatever and in their in their house they would also decorate their dresses sometimes with shiny beetle carapaces but this may have also been a bit of a novelty from what I could read but kind of cool that someone did that at some point they were like let's put beetles on this dress and it'll look like shiny beads yeah that's cute and they could also have brooches with different beetles on them hats hairpins all decorated with bugs very cool And the more exotic, the better. So the more colorful they were, like they were getting bugs from all around the world. And there's even writing from that time that describes women putting live fireflies in their hair or like live beetles crawling up and down their necklaces where they were basically tied to their necklaces. So it was like a living necklace. Yeah. That it's just wild to me. Like it sounded like they were literally using live bugs, not often, but like. It did happen because it was like such a thing. Maybe that was me with my ladybugs. They were like my Maybe. jewelry. Your jewelry? Oh, that sounds nice. It's so funny because <laughs> I think about that now. I'm like, people would be like mortified. To yeah. Have, like, live beetles on their necklace or like live fireflies in their hair or really taxidermied ones either. Like people would not be into that, but I guess it was a thing. And this included jewel beetles who were very shiny and durable and so, you know, good for earrings or necklaces or little beads or brooches. So, but of course, um, these natural history fashions ultimately like devastated bird populations around the globe. So as like fun as it is to look at photos, I'm like, this was a really Mm. bad practice as any like overconsumption is. Yeah. But uh Yeah, lots of birds went extinct. And it's hard to say how the demand impacted insect species. Like, I can't imagine it was very easy to tell what was going on with the insect species, especially if they were going to, like, South America and and going to Brazil and getting their bugs from there. But, uh, yeah, it's all very interesting. And, And even today, you can get jewel beetles as actual pieces of jewelry. But I don't. This is not justified by any research, but I have a feeling the demand might not be quite as high as it was all those years ago. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, and now it's so easy to like replicate the look of an insect without actually having to wear the real insect, I guess. Like, yeah. Like your many insect earring collections and stuff. I mean, none of them are, I don't think, real insects. I think I used to have butterfly wing earrings at one point. Oh, I don't wow. have them anymore. I lost them, which is so sad. But no, the rest are not real. <laughs> <laughs> and so where do these beetles live? I, I do think I saw one like yesterday here. Yeah, it's very possible because jewel beetles are really anywhere around the world. Like I've seen them here. Apparently they can be in the sort of close to the Arctic Circle. But of course, as with many other groups of animals, most of the species are found in tropical regions. Um, But there are really beautiful specimens even here in the northern hemisphere. Um, Some of those are considered invasive, like the emerald ash borer. So while the local land managers may be really unhappy to see one of these little guys, you have to admit they're very pretty beetles. They're the kind of this like, well, like their name says, emerald. They're very green and shiny and pretty. Oh, I I wonder if that might be what I saw because I saw this beautiful green beetle and actually we were like painting with watercolor paints and the beetle like landed on the paints and was like walking around the oh, paints. Wow. Like I feel like it was like attracted to the colors of the paints. You know, I've had them land on me when I'm wearing colorful things and maybe that's mm. just my own bias. Like reading into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like it's definitely happened before for me. And so are they like a problem invasive species then? Yeah, they they are and, and certain species are anyway. So to understand this, we have to talk a little bit about their ecology and how they breed. So jewel beetles usually have one or like a small number of host tree species. At their host tree, a female jewel beetle will lay her eggs in a crevice somewhere on the tree trunk or on the branches. And then those eggs will hatch into larvae, and those larvae burrow into the tree where they will feed on the cambial layer, the bark, or the heartwood of the tree, depending on the species. Once they're ready to pupate, the larvae will burrow deep into the tree, they'll pupate, and then turn into an adult. Many species actually overwinter as pupa or even newly emerged adults within their little pupal cells. Apart from a few species, jewel beetles will usually use trees that are weakened, that are recently fallen, or which are dead. And these trees are less likely to defend themselves and produce callus, which is this material they use to heal themselves, sort of like a scab in a human. And if you are larva burrowed in the tree, you probably don't want like a scab forming over your exit hole. (laughs) It's not (laughs) ideal. Um, Also, just like making your tunnel very sticky. So apparently female jewel beetles are actually able to sense trees that are weakened in such a way. Some species going so far as to know where on the tree it might be weakened by disease or, you know, whatever other issues that poor tree is facing. And it can go there and lay its eggs in a nice diseased spot (laughs) or weakened spot. Other species of jewel beetle even have a sensitivity to infrared light, which allows them to detect trees that have recently been damaged by fires. Wow. Some species of jewel beetle will even lay their eggs in leaves or cones. And in those species that lay the eggs on leaves, those larvae will hatch and feed on the leaf before they drop off the tree to the ground where they burrow to begin their pupation. So there's a few different life cycle 
methods here, but the most common one is within the tree. As adults, jewel beetles can eat foliage, fungi, or even pollen, and you might find them on trees, in flowers, or even resting in the sun. And primarily, they're diurnal, so you are likely to see them during the day. Jewel beetles are also considered important decomposers as they help break down dead and dying wood. But now we get to the problem with jewel beetles, which is that they can actually kill trees if there are enough larvae disrupting the flow of xylem and phloem to the top of their tree, because the larvae will make these little trails, they'll burrow all throughout the tree, and so if you have enough of them, it's really hard for the tree to keep functioning. And when there's a high number of beetles or beetles that are introduced to a new area, that can result in some very irritating economic pest problems for humans. So the emerald ash borer, which I mentioned earlier, was introduced in North America in the 90s. As its name suggests, it eats ash trees and can actually cause significant damage to ornamental ashes, but also ash lumber trees. So they're not the only pest in North America that is a buprested or a jewel beetle, but they're kind of the one that sort of comes up the most, at least when you research jewel beetles. And this is why, you know, if you want a good takeaway from this episode, um, it's really important not to transport wood or fire logs around because you risk transporting pests like jewel beetles. And just because you don't see a beetle on the wood you're bringing camping, it doesn't mean it's not there because it can be really hard to see their larvae buried in that wood. So always make sure to get your firewood locally. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and and not just for beetles too. Like there's so many, so many pests. I mean, pine beetles for one, um, which is obviously a huge problem for Western Canada. In fact, in my lab right now, we have like, (laughs) um, I guess the lab next to us, they're a forest ecology lab and they have some experiment going on with pine beetles. And we currently have like three massive Tupperwares in our closet that are filled with pine beetles. Oh. And I don't know what experiment is going on in there, but every time I open the door, I'm like, it doesn't, I gotta say, like, science doesn't always look as high tech as they make it look in the movies. Like, <laughs> these are, like, the kind of boxes I keep my Christmas trees in, and um, there's, like, some kind of weird net situation happening in them, and there's, like, holes poked in it with, like, these glass jars attached. It's just kind of a funny looking thing. I'm like... Science needs more funding, people. (laughs) (laughs) This is like important research about pine beetles, but it's just, it cracks me up every time I see it. I'm like, all right. Yeah, that's so interesting. Like here, I see all these cargo ships go by my dad's with like raw logs headed to Asia and stuff. And I never thought about like what could be hiding in the logs. Yeah, it's, I, I wonder whether there's like a process of, spraying those logs with some kind of pesticide or yeah like heating them to an extreme temperature I feel like there's got to be something though because like forestry is a pretty major industry they don't want pests like Mm -hmm. that's that's a major problem for them probably more than just you know aesthetically and ecologically they like really just don't want their their resource that they get all their money from to be destroyed by pests so there's got to be something that they're doing but I'm curious about it very interesting The last fun fact I wanted to share with you about jewel beetles is 
this interesting technique I found to track down jewel beetle species. So sometimes sticky traps or other insect traps are set out to find what species might be living in a forest, but in some cases, scientists will use the services of another insect to help them. There's this bug called a digger wasp, and it's specifically the species Circersus bumipennis. And this digger wasp will fly around it looks for bugs to attack. And once it finds one, let's say it found a jewel beetle, it'll insert its stinger and paralyze the beetle with venom. And then the poor beetle will just be like alive, but paralyzed, and it'll be carried helplessly to the tunnel of the digger wasp. Here, the wasp will drag the beetle down the tunnel to a place where the tunnel will like fork into multiple chambers, um, and inside the chambers are where the wasp's brood are going to be. So the beetle will be placed in a brood chamber and the wasp will lay an egg in its body. And then it'll basically be buried alive with an alien wasp baby growing inside of it. So oh my God. <laughs> it's a pretty terrible way to go. Wow. <laughs> it's a hard life being an insect. But these chambers that can be filled with insects are actually kind of useful to scientists because by looking at what species are inside the tunnels, you can get an idea of what kinds of jewel beetles or other bugs might be living in the region. So it's kind of handy little way to see, oh, okay, we've got a, a few different kinds of species here. But yeah, it was just like a crazy story I was reading, even though it doesn't relate a huge amount to jewel beetles, but I was like, wow, okay. That's actually so enlightening for me because there are so many digger wasps on Saturna, like at East Point, which is where I where I walk a lot. And yeah, they're like everywhere. And I mean, they're they're totally harmless to humans. Like they don't sting at all, but you're kind of like walking and there's just holes everywhere and oh, they're all like so buzzing cool. around. Yeah. So I wonder We'll keep your eye out for big beetles around those yeah. those tunnels. Probably. I didn't know what they were like doing inside the tunnels. Yeah, they're all like females and they've got their little eggs in there. Interesting. It's wild. Nature's crazy. I just... Yeah, that is very metal. So that's the jewel beetle, also known as a buprested or a metallic wood borer. These shiny beetles are pretty harmless unless you are a poor, unfortunate, diseased tree with larvae boring <laughs> into you. And having a pair of these beetles dangling from your ears may have been very chic if you were in Victorian England. So cool. I feel like they have so many fun facts about them. Yeah, and hopefully you'll see some in the summer because they are beautiful. Yeah, I'm going to keep my eye out for sure. Maybe keep my paints out. <laughs> yeah, and they're kind of big. Like, you'll you'll notice them. At least the big ones, I guess. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, like the common ones, you, you'll see them around. So cool. Well, thank you so much for all that amazing info about the jewel beetle. And thank you everyone so much for listening. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Blathers and reach out if you have a request. And of course, tell your friends about us. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye. Bye.